Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Meredith Keating shares a story about what it's like to be the only one who knows your sister's passcodes. Hello. So my sister and I, Molly and Meredith, she is six years older than me. And when I was 11 and she was 17, we did a lot of normal things for that age gap. Um, I would help her with chores around the house, like cleaning up after house parties that my parents were not supposed to know about. Um, We would do little, like, I would look out for her while she snuck out of the window to do a cigarette. And so I was supposed to be keeping all of these secrets for her, and I was absolutely horrible at it. I told my parents everything that she asked me not to. <laughs> but for some reason, she still let me hang around even when my parents didn't make her. So we would do slumber parties even though our bedrooms were next to each other. And we called each other our best friends. And as we both grew into adulthood. Thankfully, that title did not go away. And so as we grew to be adults, we would still do slumber parties, and we still call each other best friends. We don't have to hide alcohol from my parents anymore, though, especially now that I am legal also. So it was actually really hard for me when I told my family, including my sister, that I wanted to go somewhere else in the country to go to graduate school. We're from Louisiana, and people in Louisiana stay close. And I told my family that while I love them, I wanted to go away. (laughs) So my sister handled it with grace, and Molly and I actually took the road trip out here together last July and it was so much fun we got three days of just one another and then she helped me settle into the place that I live now and shortly after leaving I was able to find a great balance between making great connections here in Norfolk and still remaining connected to my family back in Louisiana And last September, September 15th, 2014, everything just kind of took a pause. I was walking home, and like I normally do, I called my mom and I called Molly just to chat. No big deal. Didn't even leave them voicemails. And before I got home for my 15-minute walking commute... My dad had called me, so I answered, and he told me that Molly had gotten in a car accident, and he just kept on repeating, I don't want you to freak out. So he said, I don't want you to freak out. Molly got in a car accident. I don't want you to freak out. Her heart stopped at the scene. I don't want you to freak out. We are all going to the hospital, and we will call you with updates. 
So we got off the phone, and I didn't hear from anyone for four or five hours. And while I was just here in Virginia, everyone that loves my sister was there in the emergency room, and I wasn't. I didn't know at the time, because I was not getting communications, but that night my sister was fighting for her life, and she had had... Her pelvis had been broken in the front and the back, so it was just kind of like hanging out. And her ribs had, a lot of her ribs had been broken, so her lungs kept on collapsing. But the big thing that was happening while I was not getting phone calls, she, she was having internal bleeding, and no one could figure out where it was coming from. And this young doctor, while all of these more distinguished physicians are arguing over what they are going to do with my sister, he took his scalpel and just continued a cut that already existed on her leg. And that's where the bleeding was. And so she became stable. And that's when I got the phone call that my mom called me and she said, okay, we think Molly's going to live. Now let's book a a plane ticket. So I got to Louisiana over 24 hours after the accident happened. And she was in the ICU. So while I could see my sister and while I could visit with family, she was in a medically induced coma, so I couldn't actually visit with her. So I didn't know what to do at the time because my partner is Molly. She would be who gets me through a tough situation, and she wasn't there. She was the one in the bed. So what I did was I had connected myself to her boyfriend because Molly is my partner, and then one day she grew up and she actually got a partner. (laughs) So I thought, since we're so close, I'm close second, so I decided to be stay with him while my sister was in the ICU. So whatever he did, I did. So that involved sleeping in the ICU every day, even though no doctors wanted us to. And it involved, you know, only taking a meal when he was going to take a meal and things like that. Well, I had been there for over a week. My sister was still in the ICU, still in her medically induced coma. And I got a cold. So my family and I decided that I should not go into visitation that morning. While everyone was gone, I took my sister's phone and I logged in because I knew all of her passwords. (laughs) And I left her a note. And I used this note as a way to talk to her with no one else there. And I just told her about what she was going through, who had come by, and pleaded with her to get better. And then I left a few days later. Molly was still not awake, and she still had really big surgeries to go, but because she had been deemed stable for multiple days, the family decided it was time for me to come home to Virginia. 
The first phone call I got from my sister was in late October. And in this phone call, she didn't remember where I lived. So I was explaining to her my apartment while she was the one who actually organized it for me a few months before. Because when she woke up, after I left for the first time, we realized that the big traumatic night she had after the accident left her with brain damage. So I didn't know if I was going to get my sister back or in what form she was going to be moving forward. But she worked really, really hard, as quickly as the doctors would let her. And the next time I got to go home in December, she was using a combo of wheelchair and walker, which I think she did with great style. And she was really starting to joke around a lot. So um, one of the things, I brought my cat, Rouge, home with me. And she would get in her walker and chase my cat around (laughs) and, like, yell its name at the top of her voice because at this level, we said that she was, like, a young teenager in December, so she thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. And at that point, I had my sister back. Maybe it was a sister I had when I was 11 and she was 17, but she was there. And she was funny, and she was charming, and she was a hard worker. In December, I actually got to help her transition back to home life and move back in with my parents. So that was really cool. Then I left again. And the next big visit I got to have with her was when I went home from May to July. And so in the spring, my sister continued to work her butt off. And when I got home in May, I got to transition her back to the house that she owns. And so with this, we got to have our slumber parties again. And we got to have arguments over if I was going to sleep in my parents' house or her house at night. So I would get, you know, she would complain that I hadn't slept enough nights that week. And she would talk about this note. And I had no idea what she was talking about. We even had a third cousin, because we know people like that in Louisiana, our third cousins, (laughs) brought up this note. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, the note that you wrote to me when when I was in the ICU. So I actually have the note. And I hated it at first. And I refused to read it. But I read it for the first time this week, and I'm going to share it with you. So just a Snapchat, a snap of what my sister and I are like. So it says, Dear Molly, Hey Molly, it's your sister. It's Thursday, September 25th. I have a cold so I have been banished to the waiting room. You are moving around and you try to get out of bed even though we have barely seen your eyes open. Tyler is really, really good at calming you down. He has shown how great of a guy he is during all of this. 
He just wants you alive, and he is trusting the doctors that they are keeping your best interests at heart. Mom and Dad have been incredibly strong throughout all of this. You should be proud. They've been staying in your big, comfy bed for the last few days. I think I may get to take a nap in it in a few minutes. So many people have come to visit, and they all talk about how you're one of their favorite people. We always knew you were special, but now we know how much. You really are my favorite person in this world. I can't wait until you call me for the first time to chat. I may go back to Virginia before you truly wake up or have some of the tubes out. During your recovery, call me when you're upset, excited, or mad. I love you so much, Molly. I'm going back to Virginia on Sunday. I'm sorry that I had to go back. Call me when you're feeling better and want someone to talk to. I love you, sister, and I miss you. I'm glad you're still here. Get better, rest, and work hard when they ask you to. Love, Mayor. So that's what I told her. And she's held on to this and used it as a way to know what was going on while she wasn't really there. And I will stick by my sister for the rest of our days. And I'm just really, really glad that I know I do not need to write any more notes. Thank you. That was Meredith Keating sharing her story about connections. Thanks, Meredith, for sharing your story. If you'd like to join Tell Me More or help out in any way, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, a contact and submission form, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.